Um, but I still do. And um, my job today is to tell you one reason why. And when uh, you have been a Christian kind of as long as you can remember, which I have, um, it's difficult to have a very kind of pat testimony. So I never really became a Christian. I didn't really have a before and after that I can share with you. Um, and I don't really have a, like a life scripture. I don't have that one scripture that comes to mind when people say, what's your favorite Bible verse? Or what is a verse that has spoken to you more than any other? But uh, when the vicar asked me to give this talk, I went back over my old diaries from the last sort of four or five years. And I looked through at the um, verses that I'd written out. And one that I wrote out again and again was from um, this passage that Afia just read to us. It says, For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From my birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. And I love that one, and I chose that one, uh, because no matter what, that will always be true of me. Because I've grown up in the church, grown up in the faith, um, I can say that God has been my confidence since my youth. Other bits I love from this psalm is when it talks about um, God always being a refuge. In him I have taken refuge. And as I was going through my diaries and kind of reading um, about everything that's happened in the last few years and um, the way I was praying, the way I was feeling about it, um, I made this little list for you of um, all of the things through which God has been faithful, all of the um, times in which I have taken refuge in him and he has proved his goodness. So here it is. Chronic illness of a family member, relocation, bad romantic breakup, mental illness of a family member, family estrangement, bad romantic breakup, school, a university degree, really bad breakup, relocation, unemployment, mental illness of a friend, chronic illness of a friend, a relocation, another relocation, loneliness, bereavement, lost home in a fire, job insecurity, job uncertainty, relocation, etc. And I've listed them like that, not to be flippant, because they're, you know, it's not just a list, it's real things that happened and were difficult, um, but to demonstrate to you God's faithfulness um, and to kind of explain why it would be hard for me to just pick one thing in which God has been faithful. <clears throat> Another thing that I love about this passage is that it exposes one of the great desires of my life, and I think a lot of our lives, which is that when I am old and gray, I hope that I will still hope in God. I will still live my life within the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that God will still be the rock to which I can always go. So if I have to speak to you from the perspective of someone who um, has basically always been a Christian, has always been inside of the church, um, that means that I can tell you story after story about how God has been with me and my family. So like it said in that psalm, uh, it talks about um, my mouth will tell of your righteous deeds and your salvation, even though I don't know the measure of it. Or in some translations it says, I don't know how to relate them all. But I have a great memory and I like to talk about it. So if you want to ask me about it, do. But I've decided uh, not to kind of list all those this morning. And instead, 
I'm just going to talk to you about one thing uh, based on a question that I was asked at the last PCC. And the question was, what do you most want to tell the church as you come to the end of your internship, the end of your year with St. John's, um, what do you most want to tell people? What's the good news that you want to leave them with? And I think the only way I can really put it, the thing that I want to most emphasize to you, is that God remains the same age to age, but God never becomes familiar. God never becomes boring. Although God finds us and reveals himself to us in things that are mundane and things that are ordinary and things that we repeat, God is alive, always resurrecting and reviving and making things new. And I have spent so much of my life boxing God in and begging God to make things a certain way or to not let anything change or to make things like they were before, to make everything look how I think it should look. And almost never have I been given that. But almost always have I been given something better. Even just looking back over the last few years, I am in a different job than I expected to be, a different relationship than I expected to be, a different location and a different vocation, all of which are better than the ones I'd planned out for myself. So to kind of wind us back a little bit in the journey, um, I am 24 now, and when I was 18, I went to university to study literature in French and English, and uh, one of the modules we did at my university was the history of literary theory, which was, um, as you can imagine, totally thrilling. And one thing I took away from the history of literary theory uh, was this theory by this guy called Shklovsky, who was Russian, and he talked about something called defamiliarization. He had this theory that the whole point of art and uh, novels and preaching and painting was defamiliarizing. So that is taking something that we think of as familiar, that we've heard described again and again with the same language, and taking it and looking at it from another angle with new language so that it becomes unfamiliar again. And when that thing becomes unfamiliar again, you get to see its beauty and its goodness as if for the first time. You see a new facet of it. And to answer that question that was put to me at PCC, my prayer for you as a church as I come to the end of this year is that God would become unfamiliar to you again so that you can see his goodness and his beauty and his grace as if for the first time that you can see new things in his character. And I've got three ways that I want to um, kind of try and convince you of this defamiliarization thing. And the first one is the Good Shepherd. So, one of the most well-known images for God, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? And Jesus, when he's talking about himself, he says, I am the Good Shepherd. I think even um, those of us who would not describe ourselves as Christians are familiar with the image of Jesus as a Good Shepherd. Um, and to us, that can sometimes mean like, oh, Jesus, with a lovely, like, thing around his head and a beautiful shepherd's crook like holding a lamb and looking out over the beautiful pastures. Um, 
But I grew up on a sheep farm, so when I hear the word shepherd, that means something very different to me. It's a different and maybe an unfamiliar image. When I hear Jesus say, I am the good shepherd, I hear him say, I am the one who, when you were born and your lungs were full of fluid, um, blew into your nose and mouth and tickled your nose with a bit of straw and swung you round in a circle by your ankles until you could breathe on your own. When I hear Jesus say, I am the good shepherd, I think Jesus is the one who, when he sees me hobbling, holds me down and cuts my feet and digs the rot out of my hooves so that I can walk properly. When I hear Jesus say, I am the good shepherd, I think of Jesus seeing me on the ground, having rolled over, knowing that I'm too fluffy to get back up again, sighing affectionately and flipping me around. That's what the good shepherd means to me. The image becomes unfamiliar again so that we can find something new in it. It's an intimate and a meaningful thing. And uh, this is how I felt when I did Alpha. I've not done, didn't do Alpha the whole of growing up because I was already a Christian, didn't need to do it. And we um, did Alpha in the autumn here at this church and I loved it. And I fell in love with Jesus all over again. So if you've not done Alpha or um, you've been worried about inviting someone to Alpha in case it's rubbish, let me assure you and recommend it to you that it's wonderful. The second um, kind of image I want to leave you with to help you this is fog. So if we just go on to the next. There we go. So I was trying to find an example of what I wanted to say to you. And I wrote down Wallace and Gromit and Frozen, but I'm going to use the fog one because I think it's just a bit more beautiful. So um, last year, in, no, not last year, 2015. At the end of 2015, I moved to Scotland very unexpectedly, having never been there before. And I loved it. And one of the great things about Scotland is that it is full of this kind of wild, natural landscape, very beautiful hills and mountains. Um, but it's also very cold and wet. And so what can happen sometimes when you're walking in Scotland is that the fog comes down and you can only see a kind of radius of a few meters around you. So you know what the bit around you looks like, and that's familiar. But to see the next bit, you have to walk into it. So from here, you can't see anything. And then as you walk into the next bit of fog, once you're standing in it, you can see the next bit, and so on and so forth. And you can't see what the next bit of the landscape looks like. You can't, looks like, you can't see the new paths and the new streams and the new trees and the new shape of the landscape until you walk into it. And that is what my Christian life has been like. I've had to walk into the next bit before I've been able to see the next bit. I've had to live with unanswered questions and um, unresolved uh, suffering sometimes. I've had to take my fear and my bitterness and my uncertainty and walk in faith with God to see the next bit. So that's a, another um, image for you. And I think for some of us, what that will mean is um, learning about new ways to pray or worship. It will be um, learning about new ways to read the Bible. 
It will be re-approaching the sacraments again, depending on our tradition. It will be being open to learning more from wise people who we trust. And it will be being open to more of the presence of God. Even if we think we understand these things, even if we think we've heard them all before, being open to walking in to the next bit and seeing what is to come. My last uh, example is a song, which uh, we're going to play in a minute, but not yet. So, uh, who knows the song, How Great Is Our God? Yes, lots of us. It was released in 2004. Can you believe we've been singing it for 13 years? It does sometimes feel like we've been singing it for 13 years. Um, It's one of the most well-known Christian songs. I've sung it in all types of contexts, in all types of churches. And I don't want to boast you, but I know that song. I know the lyrics. I know the melody. I know the harmonies. I know the backing vocal. I know the spontaneous instrumental. I know the bit where the chorus and the bridge go off two ways and then come back together and you sing it in a round. And like I could sing that song in my sleep backwards. And I've got to admit, I don't think we've sung it here, but any time now that I am maybe at a wedding or something and that song starts playing, I do kind of sing it a bit like this. Because I know it so well, and I can sing it on autopilot, and it barely means anything to me now. But um, about a year ago, uh, Josh, my fiancé, sent me a message, and he said, oh, there's this um, really great new hip-hop album that I've been listening to. I think you'd really like it. You should listen to it. So I found the album, and I streamed it, and I was listening to the, you know, various tracks, not necessarily my, like, most familiar genre, but enjoying it. Um, And then in the middle, just out of nowhere, completely blindsided me, came this version of How Great Is Our God that we're going to play a bit of now. And you can understand why I was so, like, taken aback by it. kind of surprised by that. 
the new um, sounds and the new harmonies and the passion and the voices and the synchronicity of it and the um, just total strangeness of it completely took me aback. And suddenly, having sung that song for 13 years, I was like, yes, God is so great. Yes, he is the name above all names. Oh my goodness, isn't that wonderful? Even in the most tired and the most hackneyed um, and the most repetitive parts of Christian life, there's more, there's more to learn, there's more to know. So let me encourage you, if you are old and gray, there is more. If you are um, too comfortable, there is more. If you are tired and depressed, there is more. If you have unsolved questions in your heart or you're struggling with the Bible, there's more. If you've never let anyone pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit, there is more. If you've never done Alpha or you've never told your friends that you're a Christian, there's more. Because God is more trustworthy than we think. His intentions towards us are more wonderful than we think. There are more ways to know him, to speak to him, to hear from him than we have imagined. He is more merciful, more powerful, more faithful, more just, more loving, more wise, everything. And that is why, based on my experience thus far, I chose this passage that says, as for me, I will always have hope. And I agree with the psalmist, as for me, I will always have hope. But for me personally, I feel more like it's this. As for me, I will go on having hope. And there will go on being things that challenge that hope, and I will go on looking for hope, and I will go on finding hope. So my prayer for you um, as your last kind of month and a bit as your intern is that everything that is challenging and new and wonderful and complicated and difficult in your life would be an altar at which you meet Jesus again, not for the first time, but differently, bigger and more beautiful than when you last saw him. Amen.